You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hops heads? I'm Matt, the vocals of Cryptopsy, and you're listening to my podcast, Vox and Hops, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians to talk about their lives, music, and craft beer. Last night was another amazing Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday virtual hang. I love these. I can't believe that we've been doing it for over three months now. The friendships and the community that has grown from these hangs is unbelievable. It is something that I cherish, and I am super in awe of. I love you all, everybody that's ever come to a Vox and Hops Thirsty Thursday hang. I can't wait to meet you in real life and to hang out for real. So stoked. If you would like to join us, which you should, it is open to anyone and everyone. If you like metal, if you like craft beer, if you just want to hang out, it happens every Thursday at 8 p.m. And the link is available in the description of this podcast. And it's always the same link. So keep it and join us. You are more than welcome. And we accept everybody with open arms. On today's episode, I am with Frank Godla of Metal Injection and Night Soil. Here it is, Vox and Hops, episode number 158. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everybody? Today, I am with Frank Godla of Metal Injection, uh, Meek is Murder, and Night Soil. I am super stoked to be with you. I uh, have to say that uh, you have ruined many of my mornings, and I want to, to put that out there right now, because uh, when my wife falls asleep and she passes out on the couch during the weekends, I flip over to YouTube and I start watching <laughs> Metal Injection videos, and I get caught into this rabbit hole downward spiral which leads me to still be sitting on the couch at four o'clock in the morning and having drank three to four more beers and then my next morning sucks but uh wow. it's always fun and i appreciate uh, all the content that you're putting out i'm sorry not sorry i don't know <laughs> uh, <laughs> well thank you for watching that's always you know it's amazing i never you know you do these things and you put it out there and you never know who's watching and it's always great to hear back something because as you know more more often than not people are listening and are watching and you never actually get to converse with them or hear anything from them so but thank you thank you for watching man of course of course it's great great content i love it to death uh let's start easy question but complicated at the same time uh covid19 is is wrapping up uh how did you handle social isolation uh i <laughs> You know, to be honest, I, I feel like I thrived in it. Like most, uh, I, I live inside my head a lot. I'm kind of that dude, you know, where I will challenge myself constantly and look for new things to do. So I, I think the second they told us that we were going into quarantine, and, and I'll never forget it, my friend Susie Cole from, from Apple Music, she wound up calling me in a frantic, you know, panic. It was just like, I heard New York City shutting down, blah, blah, blah. You got to get the hell out of there type of deal. And I'm like, well, if New York's shutting down, I can only imagine, like, everywhere is going to eventually shut down. And, and, you know, it's one of those things you start, like, well, do I have everything? I, I mean, if you think about, like, how crazy this has progressed, just a few weeks ago or two months ago, we, we didn't really know anything about this disease, right? So everybody was in the same shock value as I was, as, as everybody was. And you start to immediately think like, well, could I live on everything that I have in my house right now? And I'm such a germaphobe that I actually did a pretty great job at, you know, being pandemic proof from the get go. And and um, 
beyond that, I mean, like, I was just like, yeah, I mean, like, well, there's been plenty of times where even though I travel a ton throughout the year and everything, and I'm always out there, uh, I do spend a lot of time by myself, uh, you know, and, and I, I embrace that, that I, I need that alone time and that I'm, I'm good at being a loner and everything like that. So um, when this all kind of went down, I... I really just started thinking like, well, you know, maybe now's the time I could actually kick into high gear, like certain things I, I really wanted to do, you know, try to learn Spanish and, and uh, take up painting and stuff like that. Uh, I'm happy to say I got a lot, you know, write new music. I was like in the middle of writing uh, a bunch of songs with, with Night Soil. Um, and uh, yeah, I even started actually just playing recently with John Lamakia and Mike from Candiria in their project called Spilacopa. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, we were, yeah, they're great dudes. I love that guy, those guys. And, and we started working out some stuff. Uh, one of the last things I did was actually practice with them before we went into quarantine. So, so yeah, so all in all, um, I kind of took a step back and, 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 you know, made a plan. I was just like, all right, well, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And by the end of this all, I, I hope to accomplish everything. What I did not expect was that metal injection would become so busy um, simply because everybody who's home and, and all the artists, you know, now have something to say or want to stay relevant. They started doing, you know, like uh, home sessions and uh, cover songs and everything else. And so there's just a lot to talk about and do and uh, you know, behind the scenes, it was, it was just like a, a lot going on. Um, and then somewhere along the line, I had this wild idea. Uh, I called up my friend Dave Davidson of Revocation, and we had a really long, you know, chat. And I love that dude. And, and it's funny how a lot of things that I do actually start with a conversation with that guy. But we sat down, we were talking for a while, and, and I had this wild idea. He he loved it, and he was just like immediately spitballing me ideas. And then before I knew it, by the end of the phone call, I was just like, well, I, I guess I'm going to do Slay at Home. It was an idea, and, and this just convinced me to go ahead and, and start it and do it. And that consumed a massive portion of time. This quarantine time has been incredibly busy, incredibly, for me, you know. The people who were like, oh, well, I'm catching up on television or, or you know, doing this and that, I, I, I wish, man, like, you know. Yeah, I have not watched TV in many years, to be honest with you. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not really good with pop culture and stuff like that. Um, someday, someday I'll, I'll get there, you know. You'll, you'll watch The Tiger King and you'll understand what the hell everyone was talking about. I feel so <laughs> left out. I have no idea what that's about. And everybody does talk about it. You're right. <laughs> uh, you, you, you just covered a lot of ground that I absolutely want to touch on throughout the whole thing. Uh, let's just talk about what we're drinking first, because Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends and talking about life, music, and craft beer normally. But what are you drinking there? So I, to be honest with you, uh, I've never had a beer in my life. Um, I had a carbonation issue when I was 14 years old. So I stopped drinking soda. And that was also... The same time that I went vegetarian at first, um, and yeah, so I never got the, the the chance to partake in beer culture. Although I really admire it because most of my friends uh, do, and I love it. I love the idea that people are so stoked on beer, and it's it's a whole thing. I I'm drinking a, a margarita right now, to go margarita. 
and to go margarita i like that even better that's so new york (laughs) yeah Yeah, i didn't have i kind of quickly ran out and got something i I didn't have time um but tequila is generally my my drink of choice awesome awesome and i appreciate you doing that uh me on my side i'm drinking uh a brand new thing uh my friends uh metalheads here from montreal just started bottling their brews, Le Fermentar. This is a one of their classic flagship beers. There's Ven. It is a raspberry pale ale, and I love these people to death. A huge shout out to Jeff and uh, Petrik uh, for hooking me up with these brews to share with my friends during my chats. So, uh, cheers! Thank you so much, Frank. Yeah, cheers, man. Tastes just like I remember that first time. Episode three of Vox and Hops was with Patrick from Le Fermentar, and uh, this is the exact beer that we drank, and uh, it brings me back to me being hungover, sitting on that terrace, because I had been with Chris Donaldson the night before, and uh, enjoying this nice brew. It's got that little raspberry tang. It's it's absolutely delicious. Um, what would you say is your favorite beer of all time? Or are you? Oh, there's so many. I'm I'm, I'm uh, on that whole haze craze right now. So these hazy IPAs that are coming out all over all over North America mainly right now and probably the rest of the globe too. It is basically a super juicy, tropical, uh, dusty, slightly chalky IPA. It is a super opaque. I have some in the fridge, but I wanted to drink this and give some props to my Le Fermatar people. Right on. Classic Vox and Hops question. Uh, take me back to your youth when you were growing up in your parents' or guardian's house. What music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? Uh, well, I'm, I'm very fortunate that um, my mom. My mom is uh, uh, like you know more. She's Hispanic and very in that world. <laughs> you know, uh, and music is not like her, her main thing. But my dad is a metalhead, so which is how I wound up getting into all this. You know, I mean, I grew up as my earliest memories ever is you know Def Leppard and Dokken and and Metallica Guns N' Roses you know Faith No More you name it like yeah all, all, like a lot of 80s you know I was born in 81 so there's there's a lot of throughout the whole 80s era you know I kind of like was there for it all um but you know once the the thing that I really gravitated to was Metallica you know like I think I heard Ride the Lightning and and that was it for me I was just it was like the noisiest craziest thing I ever heard but at the same time I could it was like so daring and weird that I I couldn't help it I just got into it I wanted more of it you know and like a true metal injection you know or any metal fan out there I just wanted more I couldn't you know I couldn't have enough so I just kept going and going and going and before I knew it, it was really me and my dad were sharing that. You know what I mean? Like I, I was telling him about new bands that I was reading about because I became a total nerd. You know, and this is way before the Internet, of course. So I was a total nerd about it. I would subscribe to every magazine. I would read every thank you list. I would, you know, be part of all the fanzines and stuff like that or the the fan clubs. Uh, I remember I was, was definitely part of the Death fan club. And, you know, Chuck Schuldiner would would send you like, you know, mailers and stuff like that of stuff he was listening to. And then, of course, I had to, like, listen to all those records. And, you know, even if there was some stuff that was uh, overseas, you know, I would have to, like, import it and stuff. Like, I I remember we had a local record shop and we would bust his balls by just, like, going in and, 
you know, ordering stuff from Switzerland, you know, like the Samael album came out and it wasn't here available here in America. And I'd have to like go import it over there for like $30 or something. Things that children will not understand nowadays. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely not. Everything at their fingertips. No patience anymore. The, the aim of the game back then when you were a metal elitist, right. the original metal elitist was patience. Oh yeah. I, it's, it's kind of funny, but absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I couldn't fathom a world where, where the world that I'm in right now, where there's so much music that I can't get to it all. Mm. When you know, I was a kid, it was just like all I wanted to do. Yeah, yeah. consume it. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's, it's a very big twist for sure. Um, a part of me makes me almost wonder because because we were patient and we had to wait to get those CDs, did we automatically like them? Because no, you know, I, I think you wanted to. You absolutely wanted. You wanted your money to be worth something. You wanted your time to be worth something. You know, like you invested. If it wasn't money, it was patience. You know, because of course there was stuff like the Columbia House get, get, uh, scam. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I was like, what do you mean? I never got it in the mail. You know, so they would send you another one. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, yeah. In the 90s, you could scam anything. But um, I think you wanted to. You wanted to, it to matter, you know? And you, so you, what, what ended up happening is that you actually invested the patience into listening to it. So you would listen to the entire record front to back, read every inch, look at every, the CD booklet, look at all of it feel that that you know you immerse yourself in that experience and then do it maybe three four or five more times if you finally after like the fifth time of trying to experience it at that level and you didn't like it then it really meant that the you didn't like it you know what i mean like there's no way around it nowadays it's like i get through 34 seconds of a song and i'm like nope next (laughs) and i never go back you know what you say so privileged because then you might discover some stuff because here's the perfect example of that is i went to a record store this is actually a while ago and i bought my brother-in-law the isis cd it was oceanic but the remixed version with all these weird remixes patented one and some other people and it was really really noisy like it was beyond what oceanic actually was and i got that and i gave it to him and i took a copy of it or he gave me a copy of it and i listened to it and i was like i don't like this and then i never really dove into isis because of that until many many years later when i was out on tour and a sound man was using a track from oceanic as his sound check song and i was like what song is this? And who is this? Is oh, and I was like, no way. And I went and I became like a huge fan. But of course, they had disbanded by then. And uh, oh, man. you, know, you got to have patience sometimes and, and actually do your due diligence and homework when you're <laughs> listening to a band and diving in, especially when it's a weird remix CD. Absolutely. I mean, even at this point in my life where it's kind of my job, well, it is my job, but, you know, I, I will listen to something and think, all right, well, this is OK, whatever. And, uh, you know, if Maybe I didn't give it the, the, the due diligence that it was owed at the first. Um, but you go back to it, you know, you know, for me, one of those is Yob. You know, like Yob is something that I listened to many times and I was just like, oh, well, it's okay, whatever. Yeah, I get it. You know, it's like, oh, it's stoner, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, I maybe a couple of years ago, I wound up listening again. It's just like, holy shit, this is fucking wild. Like they, I mean, you know, they have that ISIS-esque, you know, thing to it, but at the same time, like a whole other thing going on. So, um, I'm, I'm really sad that you didn't get to see ISIS live though. I, I am sad. It's, uh, 
Who knows? <laughs> I dude, I love that band. Uh, I seen them several times. I even went out to the reunion that they did. did you? Yeah, in in California. Uh, that was, dude. It was it was really unexpected. I kind of like found out that I was going, or found out. Yeah, I, I basically just like upped and bought a plane ticket and just like you know what, I'm gonna kick myself in the ass if I don't go. But I wound up doing that like two days before it happened, and uh, I'm really glad that I did because it was awesome. I heard it was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, was it automatically drums that you gravitated towards as a young metalhead? Yes, absolutely. Um, I, well, partially. I mean, I, the drums always stood out to me, but uh, my dad wanted to be a drummer himself. So he kind of, I don't want to say forced me into it, but he really, <laughs> he, he kind of pushed me into the idea of playing drums and wanted to put me through classes and stuff like that. And... To be honest, uh, I didn't really stick to it at first. You know, I mean, like, what kid wants to be told kind of what to do? You know, like, you just want to watch cartoons and do other shit, right? Uh, so it didn't really work, I think, at first, you know, even though I liked the music. I didn't know that I, 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 I wanted to be pressured into anything. I mean, that's just, like, my lifestyle, how I live. Um, but uh, I'd say a couple years later, I... There, you know, there was an empty drum set in the basement, and I wound up just sitting there with it and tinkering, and, and kind of found it for myself at that point that I, I enjoyed it, and I started playing, you know, again um, some of the songs that I had. I mean, the first song I ever learned was ACDC's "Back in Black," you know, and the, you start there, and then you go to Metallica, and that, and that, I think that's what I fell in love with. As a as a young teen, I didn't really have friends or anything like that, but what I found was that I've I loved my time playing along to to metal songs that I enjoyed, you know, like sitting there learning, you know, my favorite Megadeth song and then my favorite Dream Theater song. And you you, you escalate, you just like get harder and harder and, and you develop your own playing styles by learning other people's styles, you know, and uh, it, it was fun. It was fun and, and it was rewarding because I could recognize that I was getting better at it, you know, and... I didn't need friends at that point, you know. <laughs> they came afterwards. Yeah, oh yeah. Well, they came through. Happens. They came through playing music. You know? Yeah, exactly. their music. Yeah. Do you remember your first time on stage? Oh wow! Uh, it's funny. No one's ever asked me that. Uh, I don't think I remember my first show ever. Uh, I remember the era. <laughs> <laughs> I get bands. it. I get it. I, my, my, mine, mine are, are are fuzzy too. Actually, I always say the wrong one, and people have called me out on it that were actually in the other band. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be honest, I, I want to say, I mean, my first real band was called Forcefed, and it was uh, in the nineties. I'd say like around ninety seven, maybe or something like that. And I was much younger than those guys. Uh, they actually went on to do uh, Full Blown Chaos. So, oh, cool. Yeah. yeah. So I, I was a young kid working with Ray from Full Blown Chaos in a band. And we were kind of like this metallic, hardcore band. Um, I was more into the metal. He was more into the hardcore. You know, so it's kind of like how that happened. And um, that was the first band I really did a lot of things with. I mean, like I played, you know, a lot of shows, CB, stuff like that. Um Lemoore's, you know, you name it, all around New York City, and then we then we wound up expanding, going to like Jersey, and then we played Milwaukee Metal Fest, I think in '98 or something like that. Um, yeah, so that was that was kind of like the start 
of me, you know, w- tinkering with the idea of being in a band, of touring and everything else. Um, it didn't actually really happen till much later, you know, in terms of like doing full tours. It wasn't really until Mika's murder that I went out for my first like, you know, three week tours. And then, you know, then I played with Enabler and then we went out through like seven week tours. And, you know, it was... It sounds smelly. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it's uh, I'm a really clean guy, and I kind <laughs> of a, as you were mentioning about the pandemic, you had everything you needed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm uh, I, I definitely have that about me. You know what I mean? Like my dad's uh, ex-military, so it's, you know we all everybody in the household. My sister's like here where I am today. It's just really super clean and. Um, yeah, we're just a clean family. But how did you cope being on the road with people that are obviously not? Well, yeah. So, you know what's funny is uh, I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky where the guys who were in my band are uh, either sympathetic to it or, like, for instance, Mika's Murder. We're actually all really clean dudes, you know, and we're all uh, vegan or vegetarian. Um, we get along really well. I mean, that's why we stuck as a band for so long, you know, and. Uh, with enabler yeah there's uh, you know a couple moments <laughs> um but but they they were very uh down with with like my cleanliness and i wanted to keep the band clean at all times and stuff like that what's the big problem is really staying at people's houses <laughs> no 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 I'm, that's no, that's no, where no, thank you yeah that's where it, uh yeah things get really dicey <laughs> I'll sleep in the van. <laughs> yeah, that's my move too. One hundred percent. It'll keep the gear safe, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's do. Do you mind touching on uh, being? I don't know if you're a vegan or if you're a vegetarian. You mentioned you were a vegetarian. Are you f- full vegan now? Yeah, I'm. I'm full vegan. Um, super uh, hardcore. I'm proud of it, but definitely not a preacher. You know, I don't. I'm, I don't think you ever reach people by. As we were saying before, you don't ever reach people by pushing them or telling them what to do, um, you know. And 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 that's that. Uh, this is how I roll. This is how I live. And you know, if anybody ever has questions, which most people around me do, which is great, I encourage that. You know. Uh, but yeah, I've been vegetarian for like most of my life. Turned vegan five, six years ago, something like that. I'm also a vegan. So uh, the thing that I struggled with and I missed the most, and I. I'm sort of getting over it now is uh, I missed cheese the most. So what is your best cheese recipe that you'd like to share with the world? Well, I I always say you don't miss what you don't remember, you know, and it's been long enough. So for instance, I haven't had a, uh, a burger or a steak or anything like that since I was 14 years old. So over 20 years ago. And, and if you put a gun to my head today, I could not tell you what it tastes like, you know, and I imagine in a couple more years, I'm not going to miss cheese either. But you're right. Cheese is something I sort of miss, to be honest. Like, I don't I don't miss it as much anymore because the vegan cheeses have come so far. You know, I mean, it used to be just diet cheese. And, and that's 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 like kind of like craft. But like my jam is uh, Miyoko. I love Miyoko's or uh, Follow Your Heart. That's a really good cheese. Um uh, the new moo cheeses, you know, the mozzarella cheeses. Uh, I unfortunately don't have a lot of time to make cheese myself. So I definitely depend on, on purchasing them. And luckily in New York City, uh, you can find a lot of really great, you know, gourmet cheeses. 
That's awesome. Montreal has uh, stepped up their game as well. So, uh, uh, dude, Montreal is I yeah I love it there. That's like honestly I, I've considered living there because I love the food scene, the the art scene. You have it made there, man. Absolutely, I love it. Love being from here. Uh, let's dance into uh, Night Soil. Tell me about this new project. Uh, it started right before the pandemic, as you mentioned. Uh, give me some info on that. So yeah, so uh, Night Soil is me and my friend Nick. Um, he used to live in New York City. He's originally from Texas, so he's like a brother from another mother type of deal. Like I love the dude so much, and we've uh, jammed together on other projects and stuff like that. Traveled a bunch, and then one day we just uh, started talking about doing a, a slam project together. You know, just like a ignorant, dumb death metal thing. And uh, he sent me a couple guitar riffs. I wound up reworking it into, you know, arranging it into a song and threw down some drums. And it sounded sick. And we were like, all right, well, you know, we got everything covered in terms of, you know, arranging and writing and guitar and drums. But what are we going to do about vocals? And I was just like, well, you know, I could see if uh, maybe Trevor, you know, from Black Dahlia Murder would be down to sing on it. And then he wound up singing on it. And then we wrote another song. And it was like, all right, who do we get? We, well, all right, let's, let me ask Dave from Revocation if he wants to do it. And then, you know, uh, Doug from Pieron. And so the list just kept going on and on and on. And then it kind of naturally moved its way into, like, that's the thing. That's going to be the thing. Like, we're, we're going to write all the music. We're going to play the drums and guitar. And for vocals, it's going to feature a different vocalist for every single song. So we finished an EP, and it was in the mixing mastering stage, and then the pandemic hit and put a pause because the studio closed down. And I wanted to be able to to put it out during the pandemic, you know, but it looks like we're going to have to wait on that. Uh, so when I was doing Slay at Home, I was said to Nick, I was just like, you know, it would be pretty sick if we could actually like debut the, this project like just let's just write a single and then debut the project you know uh, through the festival and uh we wound up putting together that song i think in just a couple days you know i, I reached out to uh riley from allegiant who was super down with it you know i wound up sending him the track like even just the the demo of the track and he already got to work like he started writing lyrics and whatnot and yeah, the whole thing, that was super easy, man. Like the whole song came together in two days and, you know, um, wound up getting it uh, mixed and mastered. And, you know, uh, like I, I'll take care of like the arrangements and, and engineering and shit like that. But um, it, it came together really easy. And it's super fun, man. Like, I don't know, to be honest, what's, what it's going to be in the future. Like, I don't know if we'll wind up playing songs or, or uh, you know, live or, or touring on it or anything like that. But we're having a lot of fun uh, just writing because he went up moving to, to uh, Los Angeles. So it's a definitely an Internet based kind of thing, you know, and it, which really opens it up to to have anybody, you know, involved in it. You know, that's very exciting. And then all good things are things that come natural. Things that just happen organically are always the, the best things in the world, as I've discovered, 100%. Let's uh, touch on Metal Injection, which is very exciting for me. 
uh, before we did this interview, I did some uh, a reading because because I've been following Metal Injection for many, many years, but I didn't realize how old of a company it was. And when I read it, I was baffled. And, and I thought it was just very interesting how you guys wanted to start as a TV show and then ended up transitioning to the internet once the internet started becoming more of a popular thing. Even before YouTube was something, you guys had to rent servers. And then you guys all eventually got to quit your jobs and do Metal Injection full-time. Uh, Metal Injection is a tool that I use every week with the weekly injection. I, I go every week to see what you guys are suggesting, what has come out in case I've missed something. So, so have you ever imagined when you started this out that it would actually grow into something as huge as it is? Um, yes and no. Uh, I think like any band out there or any, you know, any other company or whatever, um, you start out and you're just happy that anyone at all is listening. You know I mean? I remember starting out on the TV show, it was just me and some friends, um, and just having fun, you know, and, and if five people watched the show, I was stoked on it, you know? And it just so happened that a couple of the people that did watch the show were people from labels who, you know, had attention, in, you know, like uh, towards it. And they wound up sending videotapes to, uh, to add in their music videos, you know, from their their bands, which definitely helped. And then that opened up doors to doing interviews and stuff like that and getting even bigger and bigger. And once we moved over to the Internet, um, I mean, it, it's it's my life's work for sure in terms of, you know, I mean, I've never spent more time and energy on anything in my life as I have with metal injection for like, I mean, still to this day, you know, there's like a 12 hour day would be a great day, <laughs> you know, wow, I'll put yeah. it that way, you know, like, I mean, with, with Slay at Home, for instance, I mean, I'm not shitting you, man, there was days like three days in a row, I would just be awake, you know, just like working nonstop on everything. And, and, uh, it definitely gets, it beats me up, you know, it gets tiring. Uh, luckily that doesn't happen all the time, you know, but a lot of work there. Um, so yes, I mean, like at, at the beginning, the very beginning, I was just stoked and, and never thought it would, it was just fun. I didn't think about like what it could be or anything like that. But once I started seeing uh, some attention towards it and stuff like that, you know, I wound up telling Rob, I was just like, well, I, I think we should form this into a company, you know, like, and not be a friend thing, you know, like, not that I wanted to be that, that dickhead to like, kind of take it away from like what we were doing. But I was just like, I think if we took this seriously, this could actually be a business, you know? And uh, so, yeah, so as early as January, 2004, is kind of like when we started to look at it as something that could be possible, you know? Um, and then I, I really pushed for it. I mean, like I wound up quitting my, my day job early on and a, a little too prematurely, actually. So I, I quit my day job to try and make it a full-time thing and it didn't work. You know, I, I failed. Like I, I pushed and pushed and pushed. Um, I wound up having to go back and get another job, you know? And then I did the same thing. I was just like, all right, it just felt right. I was just like, this is the time. Like, I said, I wound up quitting my job again and pushed and pushed and pushed. I wound up getting so far into, I, I like sold all my furniture in my house and, you know, Holy like, shit. I like, I gave up like a lot to try and make it happen, you know? And then it was, a, it was a dream, you know? And it didn't work out then either. <laughs> so I wound up having back to, you know, get another job and going to work. And luckily the third time's a charm, you know? <laughs> 
yes. Wow. So everyone out there, you listen, because you can't give up when shit is tough. Don't, yeah, it, that's some great advice that I can give you is, you know, if it doesn't work at first, don't ever get discouraged. Just, you know, have the patience and, and stay steadfast on, you know, what you want to do and, and your vision. Yeah, especially if you have like a, a clear vision and an idea of what your product or your business is and you know that it has value. You should just keep it. Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to, to put value. I mean, listen, I mean, things are Not only value worth... financial, va- value as like something that's meaningful. Absolutely, yes. I mean, like things are, are only worth what other people are willing to pay for it. But, you know, what you're willing to... What, what something's worth to you yourself is invaluable, right? So like what, as long as you're appreciating it and having fun and doing your thing and you believe in it, that's all that really matters. And it's something that you would consume because you're such an avid metalhead. Yeah. Uh, you knew that other metalheads needed metal injection. I, I always say this, but if I didn't have metal injection, I think I would still be doing the same shit. <laughs> you know, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be searching for brand new bands and, and try and tell the world about them and stuff like that. I'd, I've always been that person, you know, so nothing changes. Uh, you've interviewed more people than I can think of. Is there an interview that you wish you could redo? That you look back on and you cringe now? <laughs> this one? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, d- these are great questions. Um, shit, man. Um, no one's ever asked me that either. Uh, yeah. I, I, you know what's funny is I, I'm not really... I, I, I have so much going forward that I don't spend a lot of time looking backwards, but... Yeah, I, well, there's ones that don't matter. Like, I remember interviewing one of the guitar players from Soil Work that's not even in the band anymore. And this is like going back, I mean, at the very beginnings. You know, yeah, sure. You know what? I'm just going to make it easy and say, like, anything that I wound up interviewing before 2012. And what changed? Was it your technique that changed? or In 2012? I think uh, confidence. Like, I think I... You know, to, to get on the personal side, like I, I think before then things were different. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind of saw like everyone else had the answers that I didn't have. And then, uh, you know, at some point I realized it's like, well, nobody's better than me. You know, it's it's like everybody's capable of being as good as they want to be. Right. And not only that, but I wound up uh, putting a lot of things together. Like I, I wound up doing this special called uh, uh, On the Record. It was a mini documentary series that you know some people didn't really believe in but uh i was really adamant about it so and it was a ton of work to do but it wound up getting so many write-ups you know even in newspapers and stuff i think uh uh, the village voice wound up writing something on it and uh and then it won an mtv award like chris pontius had a an online mtv award for us and you know so that kind of gave me the confidence to be like well you know what my ideas aren't as stupid as they might seem inside my head like some people might enjoy them you know so um that gave me the confidence to keep on going with some of the ideas and being more out there talking to more people and yeah then i think like anything else in, in life the more you do it the more comfortable you feel with it and the better you become at it you know 
That is absolutely true. Absolutely true. Great words right there. Uh, let's wrap this up with uh, Slay at Home. I think it's so cool what you did. Uh, it was. Uh, I've been watching a lot of these streaming concerts, streaming events that have been happening because uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, I hit up a bunch of people here in Montreal and I was like, we need to do streaming stuff. <laughs> and you guys did it. So, so, uh, so props to you. Uh, to the the initial idea came from your brain, which which you believe in now, since 2012, and you called up Dave <laughs> from Revocation. He said you should do it. What were the following steps? How did you get these artists? Who did you hit up? Are there some people that you wanted to have that you couldn't get? Uh, talk me through all of this and how many weeks of preparation went into planning it all. Uh, so from start to finish, I think it wound up being seven weeks. Um, and it was hardcore, like super hardcore because I didn't really, I didn't have anybody. It was just me, you know, like there's, I, and now if I had to do it again, I would assemble a team before I go into it again. Cause it nearly killed me for sure. You know, and, and I wasn't joking when I said some, there's around the clock days. Cause like, if you think about it, there's about 160 people involved as, as far as, you know, performances, cover, uh, arrangements, um, setting out feelers, managers, uh, having fine artists, uh, you know, special guests, everything like that. And then staying on top of them, you know, to, to try and get this done, you know, especially on a deadline. And um, it wasn't easy by any means, you know, and then I had to get the logo done and then a, a, a website done. I had several meetings with the uh, tour organizations that we wound up uh, fundraising for. The next step after I talked to Dave and I kind of like swallowed like, uh, you know, a, a mini panic attack of like, all right, well, this is what I have to do. I, I quickly just made a list of everything that has to be done and started making uh, deadlines for each checklist, basically. And, you know, that included getting stuff like logos done or whatever and, and the website done and stuff like that. Uh, but of course, I needed as many artists as I wanted. Because that right from the get-go, that was something that really... It, it was important to me to be curated, you know, to, to have that Roadburn-esque feel to it. I wanted it to be like Roadburn meets Summer Breeze, you know, to be fun and, and open, but very specific in the curation. So I literally handpicked every artist that was involved in it for a reason, you know, like, and, and I'm very lucky that a lot of my favorite artists Throughout time, I'm very vocal about them. I've tried to help them many times before. Uh, I mean, even behind the scenes, like I help a lot of bands try to secure visas and stuff like that. You know, the cool. ones the ones that I believe in. You know, like I, I want to be there and do anything I can because that's how much I believe in some of these bands. You know, and this was a, a, an amazing, overwhelming opportunity for them to kind of give it back to me. You know, like I asked them and. It was like a unanimous yes, basically. You know, I mean, of course, there was a couple artists out there that I would love to have part of this that couldn't take part for one reason or another, and I respect that. You know, like uh, some of the, you know, for, uh, not to throw him under the bus or anything like that, but Igor Gotiasari, I love Igor. Uh, he's a good friend, and I he was one of the first people I asked, and he's like, man, I would love to help you and do this, but I just don't think people. You know, because they were under quarantine, and he's just like, I just don't think people would react to a guy sitting in his pajamas at a DJ booth, you know what I mean? Like, which I can respect, <laughs> you know? Like, you're not, you know, I, I, I get that. 
Um, some people were really creative with it. I mean, look at what Manuel from Zealand Ardor did. You know, like the dude was amazing. Um, so yeah, so a lot of it was trying to get as many artists that I had on my personal list. Part of it, I'm very lucky to get a lot of them. You know, um, I didn't. I didn't even try to go for a lot of the bands that. You know, sure, yeah, you can make something the biggest thing in the world by having Slipknot part of it. But I didn't want to curate Slipknot. Like, and as, I love them, but there's not, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want it to have that that thing to it. You know what I mean? Like, I was just as excited to have a band like Suicide Silence as I was, you know, Del Judas and, you know, and Oh Brother and stuff like that. So uh, I'm pretty stoked on the on the bands that were part of it. And... You know, I'm hoping if I wound up doing it again, that a lot of these bands would come back and do some more. And I could um, also get some of the guys that I couldn't get the first time, you know, be it timing or anything else like that. Yeah, it it was phenomenal. I I really enjoyed it. And I was super stoked to see Spotlights. Love that band to death. And uh, I I love that. And it was awesome. Awesome. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. I was happy with Spyla Copa, too. I'm actually a huge fan, and I saw you playing drums, and I was like, "That's awesome!" I have to talk to him about that. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned that now you're a part of it, so that's that's very very cool. Uh, I haven't really announced it because it's like, you know, we it's funny because we were actually rehearsing uh, to try and tour and stuff like that, and then you know this all happened. Um, so that was another one. I was just like, "Yeah," I called up John, and I was just like, "Hey, man, like, what, like I think we should be part of this. Like we've been practicing, and like we're not going to get to tour anytime soon, even though we've been working towards that." Um, so let's do this, you know, and that was a lot of fun, you know, to, to put together and we're, we're still actually working on something. I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm, uh, working on something like, uh, probably after this podcast, <laughs> you record some drums. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. I'm excited. I'm excited. Two more questions. One band, you, you probably, you hear a lot of music, one band, a young band that is overlooked not known enough who is that band that people should be listening to uh, i mean a lot of the bands that are, are on the slay at home fest uh i mean oh brother is is uh, i always jump to them as one of my favorite bands i think uh, uh, wow that's all i can say is like if, if the if you ever wanted to hear what falling in love sounds like it's oh brother you know like they will tear out every morsel of feeling that you have in your heart through the gift of sound. That's beautiful. <laughs> That's why you write. <laughs> <laughs> and a classic wrap-up question. What is your hangover cure? Time. It goes back to your patience as a as a young metalhead. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I've done it all, man. Uh, you can eat garbage and... Pickle juice works actually. I, I like pickle juice. Yeah, and uh, I've been going to the this there's a place called the Pickle Guys in New York City. I've been going there since I was a little kid. I always just uh, squeeze out some of the juice and drink some of that. But time, man. I mean, you know, that next day, if you on a real bad bender, that next day is gonna suck. And uh, but the day after is when you get your footing back. That is true. That is true. Wise words from a wise man. Frank, thank you so, so much for taking some time to uh, drink a margarita while I drink some craft beer. Uh, I really, really appreciated it. Cheers. Long life to Metal Injection. Cheers, man.
Thank you very much. Hopefully we get to do this in person someday. Yes, please. Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Such a great chat with Frank. I love him telling me that story that he had to quit his job three times in order to make Metal Injection work full time. That is persistence. That is the true meaning of belief in yourself and drive. And I am super stoked about that. Hail Metal Ejection, long life. And thank you to Frank so much for taking some time to sit down with me. I greatly, greatly appreciate it. All month long, I am shining some light on Unique Leader Records. Super stoked about this. It is one of the best extreme metal labels out there. You can go to the Unique Leader Indie Merch Store. And when you are checking out, you can use the promo code VOXANDHOPS, that's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S, and you will save 10% on your order. So you should do this. They have a bunch of sick pre-orders from some great fucking bands who are putting out amazing music this summer, and you can save 10% of your order if you use the VOXANDHOPS promo code. Do it. Support extreme music. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'm on vacation. I'm very happy about that. I will be back next week with two episodes, one on Tuesday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hopsets. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Again.